friends, welcome to God on Tap. And as always, I'm Nika Spalding, and we are continuing on in First John today, looking at uh, the first f- six verses of chapter four. So, First John chapter four, verses one through six. Let's jump right in. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And this is the word of the Lord. Uh, as no surprise, we are continuing on in these litmus tests, so to speak. So uh, moral, obedience, uh, social, love your neighbor, and then, of course, doctrinal, what you believe. And this is a fun little six verses here. I mean, you've got this idea of, of testing of the spirits, which is um, John is continuing his idea from from his unit before where he says, hey, listen, you are able to do these things because you have God dwelling in you. You have the spirit in you. And then he's saying, hey, use the spirit, the the big S spirit, the spirit, not a spirit, not one of the spirits, like the spirit to test these other spirits that you're hearing from these false prophets. Like you, Like the Holy Spirit dwelling in you is going to help you to test and approve of the things that you're hearing. And so it's probably a good time to just have like a little Trinity lesson. And so, because there's this ministry called Legionnaire Ministries, and every year they do uh, a state of theology, like, uh, I guess it's a survey. I don't really know what to call it. Uh, I think surveys, right? Yeah. And so they they email a bunch of people who are self-professed believers, and then they break those self-professed believers into different groups, Protestant, Evangelical, Catholic, whatever. And then they ask a bunch of theological questions, and then they compile the data and they give it out. And then as pastors, we are then encouraged that we have job security because some of the answers are frightening and uh they, they help pinpoint some of the holes in our theology. And so one of the ones that has consistently been happening is um, they ask the question, is the Holy Spirit a force or a person? And y'all, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, Christians say, I think it's a force or I don't know. It's like 60 some odd percent say it's a force and then another 15 percent simply say, I do not know. So let's uh, let's put that to death real quick for those of you who are listening. So the way that you can define the Trinity is that God, the Trinity is God who eternally, so it's always been this way, eternally exists as three persons, one essence. God eternally exists as three persons, one essence. So what does this mean? Well, it's eternal. It's always been true. Uh, one essence, it's this Greek term homoousia. It's this idea of like whatever is God substance, right? Whatever the smallest unit of God, whatever the God Adam is, which I, I know I'm bordering on heresy, but it's because we don't have a, a way to understand the substance of God. But whatever that substance is that separates God from not God, whatever that is, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit share it. They are united. 
they're they're one. There there's one God. We don't believe in Christianity. There's three gods. We believe there's one God that has never changed. So why do we have three persons? Well, within the Godhead, there's distinction. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. And on and on they go. So we call those persons. There's three persons distinct from each other, but unified in the same essence and also equal. The Father is not more important than the Son. The Son is not more important than the Spirit. The Spirit is not more important than the Father. Now we act like it. I mean, I'm going to be real frank. Depending on which Christian tradition you come from, we tend to have our favorite member of the Trinity. And this comes out, right? You have some circles that rarely talk about the Holy Spirit. It's no wonder people think that he's a force. You know, it's sometimes we, not to oversimplify, but you hear a lot of times that the Father is the angry one of the Old Testament. Jesus is the lovey-dovey New Testament one. And Acts is the one in the book, or the Spirit's the one in the book of Acts who's doing some weird stuff. But, you know, it's weird, right? And And so... That is not a good and proper view of the Trinity. God eternally exists, three persons, one essence, with distinction, unity, equality. And what they're doing in their eternality is that they're orbiting around each other in self-donating loving relationships. That they're, they're glorifying each other. They're lifting each other up. They're deferential to one another. They, they love each other. And uh, always a joke, a bad joke, but a joke I use often is this is what I think a phone call would sound like between the members of the Trinity that the father is like ring and the spirit and Jesus are like, Hey, Hey father. And he's like, Hey, Hey son. Hey spirit. And, uh, and they get to chit chatting. Oh, you're the best. No, you're the best. No, you're the best. No, you're the best. And, uh, and then at the end the father's like, okay, I'm going to hang up. And they're like, okay, you hang up first. He's like, no, you hang up. And like, no, you hang up. And he's like, okay, we're going to do it on three. And they're like, one, two, three. I didn't hang up either. Oh my gosh. And then the phone call just goes on for an eternity. Um, that might be sacrilege, but my point is, is like the Trinity is, the Spirit is always exalting Christ. That's what the Spirit is doing. He's not a force. He's not just some powerful being um, or powerful essence or powerful, like, I don't know, quarks and atoms. It, he is a person, full-fledged, card-carrying member of the Trinity that John says will be the person of the Trinity with you to help you test and approve. How do you know? Because the Spirit is with you testifying about Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, that he was born fully man, fully God. He was born of the Virgin. They lived a perfect life. He died, and three days later he rose again. And the Spirit, the humility of the Spirit is such that he doesn't draw attention to himself. Instead, he is dwelling in us, testifying to us about the work of Jesus Christ in the world and in our lives. That's what John's saying is that the gift of God in God's sending of the Son, and then when the Son ascends on high, that the that the Trinity in the sending of the Spirit, the Father and the Son send the Spirit, the gift to us is that we're able to test and approve of these other false prophets. So that when somebody comes and says, hey, Jesus was a good guy, he was a prophet, he was the first creation, the Spirit's like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. no, 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 that ain't it. That ain't it. And the Spirit inside of you should be going, no, no, that's not... Uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh, uh uh. And you know how the spirit knows? Because he shares an essence with the son. Plus, they're omniscient, omnipotent. They're all knowing, they're all powerful, and they're in all places at all times. So, if you're ever wanting to like test something, of course, you're going to go to the one who has all knowledge and say, Is this right? And the spirit inside of you is able to be like, Nah, no, nah, that ain't it. And so, somebody comes to you and says, um, I believe that the father's fully God. And the spirit's like, Mm hmm, mm hmm. And they're like, I believe that the son's fully God. And the spirit's like, Mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. And he's like, And the spirit's really powerful force. And he's like, mm-hmm. Record scratch. 
no, fully God, fully God. The Spirit's fully God and part of the Trinity. Or somebody comes in and says, um, I believe that though Jesus was remarkable, he was not sinless. And the Spirit's like, mm 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 Okay, so that's the, like, there's a real gift in that God in the Trinity, in their love for us, took up residence in us. So it allows us to test and approve of the things that people who speak, who claim to speak on behalf of Christ, they bring it to us and the Spirit's like, no, player, no, 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 no. So it's not to say that we don't get confused. It's not to say that there aren't times that we have to mature out of ideas, but you have to trust that the Spirit is working in you to sanctify you and protect you from these false teachers. And so that's what John is saying here is that you have been given the spirit to test the little spirits. And so you test them. You go to the Lord and say, God, help me, teach me, guide me, instruct me. I don't, I don't know. This sounds crazy. And then the second part of it is John, I, one of the things that's really fun in the Greek is that you can, um, the Greek verbs do a whole lot more lifting than English verbs. And so what I mean by that is in English, in order to say, um, uh, he loves or he loved or something. I don't know. I'm a, he was loving. Something like that. He was loving. Yeah, that's good. He was loving. Um, you would need three words, obviously. He was loving. In in the Greek, you can change the, whether it's plural or singular, you can change whether it's um, first person, second person, third person. You can change if it's past or present. You can do a lot. So you could have one verb that says he was loving because you would have like, you know, it'd be so like first person's I and we, right? So first person singular is I, second person is you, and then third person's he. So you could have like he, and the verb is also like masculine, feminine. It's like crazy. It's like crazy what Greek verbs can do. And so what that means is sometimes you don't need pronouns. Like you don't need they sometimes because you know it's, it's uh, third person plural. So the verb tells you that. So you're like, oh, okay, they. Or it's like the verb is second person. So you don't need you. Like you don't, you don't, sometimes you can like omit words. So when words aren't necessary and the Greek writer still uses them and word order doesn't matter in the Greek. I mean, it matters, but it's, it's really loose. So like when somebody chooses to include a word that's not necessary and they throw it to the front of the sentence. It's like they're putting a big red light, like, wow, 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 pay attention here. I'm trying to set up some distinctions. This is a really fun thing that John does here. So I'm going to read it with like the emphasis that I think John was trying to get at. Because in verse four of our chapter, he says, he puts, he says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So he's like, you guys. And so it's the humes is the Greek, you know, pronoun for you. So he throws that word at the beginning of the sentence and he's like, hey guys, you guys have overcome. And then he goes on. And then in verse five, he's like, they are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. And it's autoi. They, those guys are from the world. So you little children are from God and you've overcome them. They are from the world. And so they talk like the world and the world listens to them. And then the last one in chapter six, like we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. And so it's this really fun interplay. I'm realizing like, I just probably blew out y'all speakers and that was probably the most annoying 35 seconds of your life. But 
I'm not going to apologize because I think it's helpful. So you are from God. That's how he starts. You're from God. You have overcome. Guys, you're from God. You have overcome. And this is the you is the Ephesian readers, the Ephesian audience. You guys are from God. They are not from God. They're from the world. And then he comes back and he says, we are from God. So this we there, who's he referencing? Uh, a lot of commentators believe he's referencing the apostles. So he's, it's this beautiful sandwich of God on the is the bread and this nasty false teacher middleman sandwich is, is they. And so you are from God. You're from God. They are from the world. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. And then we are from God. So listen to us. And so there's this real pastoral moment of what John is trying to say here is those that are from God speak as if they're from God. And then those that are from God, listen to the ones who are from God. People who are of the world, listen to people from the world. They listen to whatever their itching ears want to hear. This is what I hear throughout scripture. And so like, we all know those people, right? Who want to justify their bad behavior. So instead of turning to counsel from wise people who deeply love the Lord and have lived a life of um, obedience and, and faithful living, Right. We've all seen that moment where they're like, well, I could ask my incredibly mature Christian friend, but I'm going to I'm not. I'm going to ask my friend who uh, is going to tell me what I want to hear. That that's a lot of what John's saying here. And so he's trying to remind them again, context. The Ephesians have been beat up by some false teachers and he's overemphasizing. Hey, guys, you are from God. You've overcome the world. So don't listen to them who are from the world. Instead, listen to us who are also from God. And so it's a really sweet picture of how God designed the family of God to move forward, that we really do need elders and leaders within our church who have lived lives of faithfulness and who have taken the message of Jesus and faithfully handed it down through the generations. And so this is what John is saying is, listen, hey guys, listen. I know that you're being inundated with lies. I know that you're facing, you know, sort of two different schools of thought. You got to remember, you guys are from God. So listen to people that are from God. And they are not from us. So don't listen to them. You have this ability. And so this wraps up that doctrinal litmus test of the spirit inside of you is going to testify that Jesus is in fact Lord, that he is born of flesh, that he was fully God, fully man, all that. So the spirit inside of you, God himself inside of you, is going to testify about these things. And also listen to trusted and faithful people who deeply love the Lord. Right? It's great. Like, it's like, and we do this, right? It's not, it's such a human thing to like new ideas come along and we're like, man, that's, that's real shiny and new and mm, shiny and new feels better. And what are they saying about Jesus? Oh. And then since Jesus is all about love, like other things don't matter. Okay, no, no. You go find you a trusted and true Christian leader and they're going to look at you like, child, you don't, you think that's new? That's not shiny and new. That's as old as the book of John being written in the first century, right? There's nothing new under the sun. And so this is a, this is a really good pastoral moment where John is overemphasizing who they belong to and who they should listen to. So what's our big so what for us? Um, fear is, I once heard Marilyn Robinson, who was a Pulitzer Prize author. She wrote the book Gilead. It's one of my all-time favorite books. It's profound. I know not everybody loves it, but those people are wrong, and they should not be trusted for other book recommendations. Yeah, this just got personal. I'm calling some of you out. No, I'm kidding. It, it's a really beautiful book. It's a book about fathers and love and family and faith. And um, Anyway, so she is, she's a profound author. You got to be pretty good to win a Pulitzer. I mean, she's she's widely considered a, a, a brilliant, genius woman. And she's a Christian. And I went one time to, at a conference to hear her. And um, 
somebody began asking her about faith and things like that. And she said, she said this in passing, but it has stuck with me. It's been a couple of years now where she said, fear is such a trash emotion. So I just try to not give it too much airspace. Like I just try, it's, it's a trash emotion. It's not a good one. It doesn't do anything for us. And I, I, re- I realized she's, I don't think she's talking about like the fear of the Lord. Like I don't think she's talking about like a holy reverence or anything. I think she's talking about our tendency to be anxious for things uh, outside of our control, our tendency to not step up and courage and things like that. And I resonate with that, that it is a trash emotion. And yet it's a powerful one. Like it's only trash because it's not from the Lord. Like it's, it's a scheme of the enemy. And so I, I know that it is a healthy thing to read this passage and say, gosh, um, what if I'm duped someday? Not, not necessarily read this passage, but just to think like, gosh, what if false teachers come in? What if I don't know my Bible that well? What if I'm led astray? What if there, and I, I want this passage to speak to some of those fears of it's important that we have a historically grounded faith that the apostles have handed down to us. It's why the Bible is such a gift to us because it was written by men who were carried along by the spirit. And a lot of them were eyewitnesses to these things. It's an incredible, we have a historical faith. It's why John can say, listen to us. We were there. I touched him. I touched the risen Lord. I high five Jesus after he died and then rose again. I had a meal with him. We farkled. We played Uno. Like, I, like, it's, I saw him. I spent years with him. I know what he's like. You don't have to, you don't have to listen to some new teaching. You can listen to us, the we here. We are grounded in historical faith. And so that's my encouragement to us is to know that, like, the faith that we hold on to is, one, grounded in history, There were eyewitnesses to these events and they wrote them down and it has been verified through historical accounts and not to mention faith playing a major component of our belief in it. And as if that weren't already enough, God himself has taken up residence in us to testify to us and to test the spirits for us so that we don't have to fear these things. That instead, if we take seriously what John is saying here, we have We have God on our side and we have the testimony of the apostles and the historical faith that we hold on to. And so when you doubt, and that's a normal thing, or maybe when some new fandangled teaching comes along and you're tempted to, um, I guess, walk away, if if that's the right word, I would encourage you to cling to what you first received. And I would encourage you, if you're in a season that you can, I would dig your heels in to the historical public proclamation that Jesus is in fact Lord. All right. If nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. Way more importantly, the God of the universe is crazy about you. Peace out, friends.